We're thankful for the presence of each and every one of you, for your desire to be engaged in spiritual things and to study from God's Word. I invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Matthew, where in chapter 26 we'll read a couple of verses in just a couple of moments. Thankful for, as have already been mentioned by our brother at the outset of services, for our visitors, for those of you that are here for the first or maybe second or third times, and for our regular members who are here all the time. And we never take them for granted, and we appreciate very much the opportunity to be together today. There is uh, maybe a science or perhaps an art to sermon titles. And those of you that have the little outline that I prepare already know where we're going this morning, or at least you have an idea of where we're going this morning. And already a number of you have commented with smiles on your faces, this should be interesting. And indeed, it may be interesting when we talk about the dangers of COVID. This could go in a lot of directions. I was asked by one of our brothers if Dr. Fauci has approved this particular sermon, and I ran it by him, and he, he is very pleased with the efforts that I put forth this morning. I've been thinking about this sermon for a long time, uh, for many, many months. You know, some sermons you think about for a few days, and then you write it, and then you, you go with it. This one I've been thinking about now for probably three to six months. And there are a number of reasons why I decided to title it The Dangers of COVID. At one point, I thought about calling it The Dangers of a Post-COVID World. (laughs) I thought, well, that may not be accurate because I'm not sure we're in a post-COVID world. Especially a week and a half ago. (laughs) When this lovely sheet of paper was brought into the doctor's office... And highlighted by the doctor woman was positive. And then also highlighted, and this offended me, it says abnormal. <laughs> but I thought now's a better time than in time. I had some extra time on my hands to <laughs> just sit there and do nothing. <laughs> Not let anybody be around me. And so we wrote this particular sermon. Actually, I had a discussion with some brethren in California during my 95 hours on the ground there. It's supposed to be a week and a a trip and ended up being about four days because we came back rather quickly. But there are dangers regarding COVID for us as Christians. Now, the costs of COVID are those that are debatable but are sometimes agreeable. Uh, I thought about just looking at some different statistics at the outset of our sermon this morning that really have nothing to do with this, but you could say that we're going to go in a direction by looking at it from a global or American point of view or a medical point of view. I found out that somewhere between 10 to $11 trillion is the estimate of what COVID has cost the world in lost productivity, not to mention the emotional and psychological costs. Depending on the version of uh, news site you look at, and I'm trying to be as very down the middle this morning, however, we're going to go to the extremes. And so those of you that like the extremes, you're going to enjoy some points that I'm going to make in a few moments. But somewhere around six and a half million people uh, have died as a result of or related to covid 
Think about the medical bills that are associated with those of us who have health insurance. And then for those that may not have health insurance, it is taxpayer funded where those bills are picked up. And so there are a lot of different costs associated with COVID. And as our brother mentioned uh, in our Bible class this morning, it is certainly something that has challenged churches and Christians for so many years now. But there are what I would call more serious spiritual costs that are potentially incurred for those of us that are members of the Lord's church. And that's what we're going to talk about in the course of our sermon today. I want to look at four or five aspects. And uh, someone said a couple of days ago with advance notice of what this sermon was going to be about that I may be stepping on some toes for those that are watching as well as for those that are uh, here uh, in person. But let me suggest to you one area that I think we need to be cautious about, and that is what I would call a too casual uh, view of communion. We've already come together to partake of the Lord's Supper together today. We took of the bread, we took of the fruit of the vine, we did so with thoughts about uh, Jesus as being our Redeemer. Uh, I am so uh, pleased with our men who make comments at the outset of the Lord's Supper, and they spend 90 seconds, two or three minutes, whatever the case may be, uh, and how creative sometimes we get. I'm not saying we get creative for the purpose of being creative, but I would have never thought about Ecclesiastes chapter 7 as part of a Lord's Supper talk, and I appreciate Ben bringing that full circle to uh, Genesis 2 and then to some other passages in the New Testament. Without a doubt, we know that we are to partake of the Lord's Supper each Lord's Day. And that's not the point of this particular sermon. There may be some who are present here who say, wait, I didn't know that we are to partake of the Lord's Supper each and every Lord's Day. I just thought we did it a couple of times a year, which is what most denominations do. But in Matthew chapter 26, it says, Jesus took bread, he blessed and broke it. This is verse 26. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And this is very familiar territory. Verse 27, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom there in verse 29. We are also familiar with passages like Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 where we see brethren coming together on the first day of the week for the purpose of breaking bread, partaking of the Lord's Supper. And we're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, particularly verses 23 and the next seven verses where Paul says, this is what I have to deliver to you, which is what was delivered to me by the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that the Lord's Supper, however, is more than just an act of worship. And I'm not suggesting that it's inappropriate that we call the Lord's Supper an act of worship, but it's, it's not just an act of worship that we check off the list. So if I were gonna do a really in-depth sermon of the Lord's Supper, here are three or four points that I'd make. Number one, it is a time for examination as outlined in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. It is an opportunity for repentance 
as outlined in the next verse. If you go back a couple of verses earlier, it is an obligation for us to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And one thing that I had never really noticed much before until I really kind of delved into this text a little bit earlier in the last couple of weeks is it is a notice of the fellowship that we share to the world. So the Lord's Supper is very important. And I don't think that any of us disagree on that. But the point that I wanted to make here is this, and that is some technical questions. If you can remember back a long time ago, B.C., before COVID, we used to pass around trays where each person would break off a piece of bread and each person would take of a individual cup and we would pass it around and we would have a collection of six to eight of our brothers who would pass those plates and pass those trays through the, uh, through the congregation. Let me just ask, how long did it take to pass the bread and the fruit of the vine to a group of about 150 to 180 people? Somewhere between two to eight minutes, depending on how fast the people walk. Uh, how long the person talks, you're looking at a period of somewhere five or ten minutes, give or take. Let me ask you this from a very practical point of view, and I hope you understand what I mean by this, and that is how long does it take to open the container to take out the bread, and how long does it take to open the top and drink the fruit of the vine when it's time for that after covid I don't know that there's that much of a difference. I haven't sat there with a, time, with a stopwatch and timed it because that would be inappropriate to do as well, because my mind wouldn't be in the right place. The point that I'm simply making is this, that in a post-COVID or in a COVID-era world, we can run the risk of grabbing it from the usher in the morning, opening the top, eating the bread, opening the bottom, drinking the fruit of the vine, and then say, we're done, Lord's Supper is over. On to something bigger and better. Now it's on to the main event, the preaching. Is it possible that we trap ourselves into thinking that way and not giving the proper reverence to the Lord's Supper that it needs? Now, this could be as applicable to BC as it is now in the COVID era. But there are congregations that have struggled with this And let us not be one that struggles with it going forward. Let me also suggest, and I appreciate our men, Ben and others, who do just such a good job of understanding the huge responsibility that we have in sharing thoughts that are going to be concise enough, yet constructive enough at shaping the minds and helping the minds of those who partake. Incidentally... And we say this casually, that this song is to prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. Nothing wrong with that. That these comments are designed to prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. If the first time you think about the Lord's Supper is when the song leader says, now we're going to sing about the Lord's Supper, it's too late. If you're not already thinking about the Lord's Supper Sunday morning when you get out of bed, maybe not in detail in the way that you do while you're physically partaking of that bread and the fruit of the vine. I have a friend who writes the idea that Sunday is coming, the Lord's Day is coming, 
Even on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, are we anxiously anticipating gathering with our brethren for the purpose, among other things, of partaking of the Lord's Supper? And this is so of each and every individual. This is not just, well, the, the, the man up there did not lead me very well in that song, nor did he share good comments, and therefore I can't partake of the Lord's Supper. It is the individual responsibility of each and every one of us as members to really think about what am I doing? Am I examining, repenting, proclaiming, and having fellowship with Jesus and with my brethren? Let me suggest to you a second thing that you may not have thought of, and I wouldn't have thought of until about two months ago. And that is a failure to really, and I'll put that in capital letters, consider our financial contributions. We know, again, of the importance of financial involvement in a local church. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Passages that we often quote at the conclusion of our services when we make reference to the giving. Go back to last Sunday morning sermon and Brother Eddie, who did just, a, I thought, a very good job of describing some of the, the applications of what we do when we give. Go back to the sermon a month and a half ago with Brother Bill Bain, who talked about some of our obligations in giving. But consider, if you would, the mode or the method of collecting such contributions before and after COVID. Again, if you can remember BC, <laughs> there was a time when the baskets, which are now affixed to the ledge, would also be passed around, and it was a separate, and we use that term quite frequently. In fact, I have a, a sermon on the subject of giving called separate and apart, because we use that phrase so frequently. Nothing wrong with that as well. But it is a time to fulfill our obligation and the privilege to give of our means. Now... When you come into services or when you leave services, depending on how you do it, you contribute. And some might say, are we contributing before or are we contributing after our worship? We sometimes talk about our worship begins when the man comes up and leads us in prayer and opens us up in worship. You say, wait a minute, that, that sounds quite technical. And Leland, you're not a technical person. And you're right, I'm not. I don't, I, don't, I don't deal much with technicalities. I will tell you this. There's a congregation in the Midwest, I'll leave it as general as that, that is now facing potential division over this issue, over when the giving transpires. And the whole notion is, and I, and I can understand the point of those who are, and I can share this more in detail if you, because some of you have puzzled looks on your faces, and I, and I can appreciate that, is when I come into services and I drop my check in the box or in the basket, Am I really thinking about this is for the purpose of helping this local church? Or am I thinking about I got to get my seat before someone else gets there? Or I want to get to brother so-and-so to have a... Am I really thinking about it as deeply as I should? And I'm not suggesting that a person can't be deeply thinking about the purpose of his or her contribution while also having a conversation about other things. But again, I know of a church that is now facing potential division over this particular issue. Is it possible that we're not as mindful as we once were? That when the basket came around, I took out my check or I took out my, 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 my cash and put it in the basket. This is a part of my worship to God. Is it possible that we've gotten a little bit uh, 
underestimating the importance of that aspect of our worship as before COVID versus the COVID era. Let me suggest to you a third aspect in our list of four. And this is the one that really, I think, hits home the most. And that is a division among brethren or a division related to those who serve as shepherds. And I appreciate our brother reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is not a sermon about shepherding or about elders. But again, from passages like 1 Peter 5 uh, or Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through about verse 8, we know the vitalness of shepherds in a local church. They are very important. In fact, uh, whether you are aware of this or not, we take it for granted because we've had shepherds for so long. But churches that do not have shepherds uh, really look forward to the time when they can have elders in a local church and individuals who are moving into a new community uh, will sometimes say, I've got church A over here and I've got church B over here, both of which are sound and doing what's right. One has elders, one does not. I'm leaning towards going to where there are shepherds because I know the importance of having shepherds in place. I say all that because the ability to lead in an effective way depends in part on the willingness of those of us who are sheep as members of the flock to submit. And indeed, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, talks about the idea of submitting to our elders. I understand there that the context may not be elders who are serving in a local church, maybe just to those who are older, but certainly the application is as true. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 is another text that comes to mind uh, where it says in verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be in submission to them for they watch over your souls and they will give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Let me share with you this thought question which has, I believe, an obvious answer. And that is this. Is it possible that churches struggled to properly submit to elders in a COVID era with its challenges? Or is it possible that churches in the past struggled to properly submit in the COVID era to their shepherds? And it comes with an obvious yes. I'm not a controversial person. Those of you that have known me now for almost three years know that that's just not my style. I am gonna put a slide up here that may make you a little uncomfortable. Do you not think that Satan has had a heyday in churches, including in churches of Christ, over this? Because we've all known of churches that have either split or come close to splitting over this. And for those of you that are watching that can't see the screen, I have a picture of just a a stock photo of a lady wearing a mask. This is not a sermon that says that masks are important and masks are necessary. This is not a sermon that says that masks are unimportant and masks are unnecessary. Each gets to choose for himself or herself based on their individual perspective and their health needs and what they have been told by their medical professionals based on their particular issues and their their struggles. There are elders who have walked the floor at three in the morning 
because of a congregation that struggled, especially a year and a half ago when masks were much more prevalent than they are today. There are elders who thought, maybe it's time for me to quit. You ever think about that? That shepherds in the local church that I've talked to, at least one or two, said, I was at a point where I wasn't sure if this was right for me to do because people were so divided over this issue that I wasn't sure I was cut out for the job. I know of a church in another state where even members would thumb their nose at elders and say, you know what, you're telling us we've got to do this for a period of three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, whatever, we're not gonna do it. You can have a healthy conversation, you can have healthy disagreements, and we can be passionate about these issues. But when push comes to shove, I go back to what one of our brothers said to me a year and a half ago when he said, if, if, if me wearing a mask for the remaining part of this year or two years or three years or four years is what's necessary in order to make people comfortable to come to worship, I'm willing to do it. And vice versa, someone, someone else says, I'm willing to, to sacrifice that because I want the church to be focused on the truth and focused on unity. You gotta appreciate the attitudes of people saying, it's about keeping the focus where the focus needs to be. And speaking of divisions in churches and divisions that elders need to deal with and elders have to focus on and that saints need to deal with, we certainly uh, understand the importance of understanding masks like we talked about and how that was and still is in certain places a very divisive issue. I said this may make some of you uncomfortable, and believe me, I'm not the most comfortable one preaching it because of my style. What about vaccines? Has Satan used vaccines in an attempt to divide brethren? Absolutely he has. I don't... Preacher Leland, from a spiritual point of view, doesn't care if you've been vaccinated 73 times or zero times. Do I have my own personal opinions on it as a human being? Sure. If you want to talk about those, we can, but that's not really worth our time spiritually. The point that I'm making is that elders have to deal with this. And elders have to deal with the squabbles among members who sometimes allow this to spill over into their spiritual lives. But Satan says, here's an opportunity for me to conquer and divide these brethren. And he's done so. What about the CDC? Either you love it or you hate it. (laughs) How about this? I was taking a walk with Max Nixon Probably shouldn't use his middle name in a context like this, but but his middle name is Nixon. We can talk about that later. And Wendy. And I said, tomorrow will be the first time ever in 20-some years of preaching I've ever done this. What about Donald Trump? Some people are really passionate that he a, a, was a great president. What about this man, Joseph Biden? Some people are really passionate. He's a great president. Do you not think that Satan takes these men, whether you like them or not, 
whether you agree with them or not, and says, let me try to split churches apart over these issues. And you may say, wait a minute, I I can't imagine there being any division over these issues. Visit around the country a little bit, and you'll find that there are Christians who are divided on this, who think one person is great and the other person is not. We live in a more conservative part of the world, more conservative part of the country, so that may come as a surprise to you. The whole point behind all of this is we can have our disagreements and be very passionate. And those of you that know my background, especially those of you that know me very well, know that I I have some, some fairly strong political beliefs that a few years ago I decided that I was no longer going to talk about publicly uh, on a grand scale because I, I felt personally that it was going to be too tough for me to be able to preach effectively to individuals because if I took one side or the other side, I wanted to make sure. Now, if you want to talk personally about my political beliefs, be happy to do so. Let me suggest to you, fourthly and finally, that there's a danger to the use of streaming as an improper excuse for worship. Our brother David talked about this about a year and a half ago. And I'm sure you remember every one of David's sermons as I do. I've got them all cataloged in my brain. But I remember this sermon very well. And some of you remember this sermon as well. And he talked about this. We all know of members who are watching right now and who watch on a regular basis or on a semi-regular basis who need and benefit regularly from the streaming of church services. I'm thinking about uh, some of our members who are aged, some of them who are very fragile, uh, some of them who are recovering from procedures. And we all know that those are individuals that are not the subject of this particular point. We know in passages like Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 of the importance of coming together to worship our God and to provoke one another to love and to good works. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is in the manner of some, but exhorting one another or provoking one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm not talking to a 99-year-old individual who never gets out. But if you are, and I'm talking particularly to those who are looking at a screen now, if month after month and now year after year, you are away from your brethren, but yet you go to work, You go out to the store on a regular basis. You go out to other places. It goes back to the point that David made that I'm going to steal from, and that is if you're not here, you're not here. You may say, well, I send in my contribution. Uh, I worship from home. You know, I have talked with people who said it just becomes easier to sit in your pajamas and sit there and hit the remote and church comes on TV. And they admit it's easy to fall into the trap of week after week, month after month, almost year after year where that becomes natural. And again, I appreciate streaming, especially a week ago when I was unable to be here because of not the Scarlet A, but the Scarlet C that I had to wear for a week. But I appreciate so much that we want to be together 
And in a COVID world, it's possible, possible that a person could lean on streaming instead of being here when he or she otherwise could be here. So there are dangers associated with COVID. As I started and as I end, this is a very different sermon. And not one that I was uh, ashamed to present, one that I was not even apprehensive to present, because I believe it is important to talk about these particular things. And I hope that it's helpful. And if there's something that we as collective Christians can do to better ourselves, let's do that. If there's something that we as individual Christians can do to better ourselves, let's do that as well. But if you're not a Christian in the first place, then you don't have the benefits that come from being a Christian. Because if you're not a Christian, you're not a Christian. (laughs) If you're not here, you're not here. If you're not a Christian, you're not a Christian. These are earth-shattering statements that I'm making today. But simply put, if you're not a Christian, you don't enjoy the blessings of salvation that come to those of us who have been redeemed. And we would appreciate the opportunity to study with you, to help you, and to strengthen you in making proper decisions going forward, including in the culmination of your choice to be baptized for the remission of sins. We hope that we can encourage you. And for those that are visiting, we're thankful for your presence. We also want to make a plea to those visiting as well as those who are our regular members who are already Christians. You've already been baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but maybe you're not living righteously or as favorably as you should in the sight of our Lord. If we can help you to make correction, to do what is right, and to be strengthened, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.